Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Swisspreneur. Today I'm meeting with Anna and Naomi from Kytro. They're a food waste company, and I want to talk to them about how it is to pick the right co-founder and actually finding an idea and then execute on it. Let's go and chat with them. So, hi you two, great to be here. Um, great to do this interview with you. We are here um, in a place, in a very special place, but maybe Naomi, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the Kickstart Accelerator. Yeah, so the Kickstart Accelerator is happening here in the Kraftwerk space, so we're in the control center right now. And um, there's six different verticals, so there's robotic, fintech, smart cities, food, um, <laughs> And some other ones that I forgot. Oh, we're not here, right? Uh, education, some other one. I believe, in Lausanne. Education. Oh, yeah, exactly. Education. There's one in Basel as well, right? Uh, MedTech, I think. Biotech? Right. Anyway. So, so you're six more familiar with the ones here. Exactly. Right? And you are in the food vertical, right? Yeah. And um, so what's uh, like special about this accelerator here? Like, how did you come about to be here? Well, I think this accelerator in Switzerland is very special because it takes a really international group. Um, the application is one of the most selective that we've been part of. And they really take a diverse range of, of startups, but still with a focus. So you still have these vertical focuses, so you can be surrounded by people that are in the same industry as you, but you can still talk to other people in robotics or in fintech and get their feedback and their insight on how they've done their startup and what challenges they face. So that's been really helpful for us, for sure. Um, something that comes to my mind, like that's the reason probably why you are here, is that you are doing a great job applying for things. Like you have a great success rate. So is there any secret you have? Like how do you, how do you do it? Like is there are there any tricks for startup entrepreneurs who think about applying for an accelerator or a competition or whatever? I think you need to be very clear on what, what is, first of all, what are you applying to? Is it a fit for you or your, your startup? And then just really see what are the requirements and answer to those and really have specific answers to what they want to hear mm -hmm. and target those questions. So I think with a focus and really specific answers, you're already quite, quite good. And then, of course, also look at the format. Don't just write 1,000 words if they ask for 200. That's another thing I would say as a tip. Maybe a little like what we did. So when we applied for something, we always kept our application so that you don't have to rewrite everything again. So, you know, there's always yeah. what are you trying to accomplish, more or less. I mean, it'll change over time, but you can still, what is your, what is your mission, what is your vision, all of this, you should have it in a way so that you can just... So you do it continue. once really great, and then you actually keep that and use it over and over. And Parts of it, because yeah. you still have to, like what value are you going to get out of Kickstarter is something right. different than if you just go for a one-time pitch. Yeah, got it. Um, maybe being startup entrepreneurs, you're like quite young. Um, you did it right out of school, your startup. Um, is this something you already dreamed about when you were young? Like, did you know that you want to become entrepreneurs or did you have other wishes what you wanted to become? Well, I didn't know that you could just go out and like start a business. That was not something I knew you could do. Uh, so I didn't dream about it when I was a kid. I was actually more focused. I studied hospitality management, so as well with like together with Naomi. And um, so my focus was more in the hospitality industry. Tourism was very. Um, I really liked that industry. So I didn't plan to become an entrepreneur. It just in the last year of university, it started to kind of. It just happened in that sense. Was it the same for you? So when I was really small, I wanted to be a chef. 
Um, but actually, when my parents, so they used to do seminars, and whenever there were breaks, I always used to prepare little chocolates and cards and sell them in the breaks. And I guess thinking back, that kind of is making my own little business outside of the seminars and selling that. But I guess I was the only you know, entrepreneur. I kind of wanted a restaurant as well, so I always thought I was going to be a chef in my own restaurant. So, but I didn't think I'm going to be an entrepreneur because that word or a startup or whatever, because this word did not. How, how did it then come about? Like, did you have something like in your? So you went. You were colleagues in school, right? So. Did, was there any entrepreneurial class or something? Was there any entrepreneurial stuff going on in school? Yes, so um, we studied hospitality management in Lausanne. And actually in the last year there was an um, entrepreneurial elective. Mm -hmm. It was about, so they had different electives on innovation and one was on developing entrepreneurial ideas. And so we both took that actually. And so that was actually the only kind of classes they had electives on that topic, where it also became a bit clearer that this is actually something you could do, um, which, is, which is really cool. And, and then the SCP as well. The SCP, yeah. They do, so in our school you can do a bachelor project, so you do bachelor projects in groups, or you can do a thesis if you want, otherwise you do different projects in groups, and the, they also offer that you can work for six months, uh, yeah, six months on your own project that you bring to the table, and they select then a few that can do that. And so we did actually, as our bachelor thesis, we did a student entrepreneurial project. But it had nothing to do with what you're doing now. No. But no, that no. was the first experience. And then, how did then it happen that you, it came, like how, how, how did you got connected with the topic of food waste? There was a, a competition in the school that asked what a sustainable F&B concept would look like in 2025. And we had two minutes to create a video, which we, Data. We, we did, the, in all honesty, we did the video in like, I think 32 hours, everything from like idea to end product. It was an animated video uh, with robotic fridges, a countertop that could separate any type of waste, um, apps, it was, it was very robotic and very futuristic because it was 2025. Um, but we presented that and we actually won. And, and it then, was just you two or it was a bigger group? There was one other person in the, in the group there. And then um, from that, we kept continuing to work on it, even during our, our final bachelor project. And the idea started stemming from them there as we started to focus more on what actually could be plausible from this massive project. And there we also got support from our professor who kind of encouraged us to think a bit further and kind of maybe make it more feasible and focus a bit more on something. And we realized, and at one point it just happened automatically that we started focusing on food waste because it's also something that kind of I'd say it affected us both because we used to work in kitchens and in service and we were the people throwing away a lot of food behind the counters and it's just, it was something that bothered us both. And so there we realized, oh, actually this is, there's something we can do about it and uh, maybe mitigate this food waste. And so this is how then we started focusing on food waste. And the third person who was involved, was it ever a topic that this person joins you or not? Or how, how did the team then like constitute itself? It was, so even after we submitted the video, it kind of worked that Anna and I were always somehow going back to the topic and talking about it. And so Anina is the other person who was part of it and she was always part of it, but she knew that she wanted to be in the food and beverage industry and she wanted to work in hotels. So we said after university, we were going to take jobs to earn some money, mm -hmm. um, but then we were gonna continue working on it. And for her, she wanted to be more focused on the hospitality 
uh, growing her basically her career there. So she went to Dubai and is very happy there. And okay. yeah. It's good nice. though, because she also come, comes back and she saw and she was like, this would not have been the life for me, but she's like, she's very supportive, but it's, it's, it was and a good. where did you decision. two go after school, like to earn the money? Like what was the strategy <laughs> there? <laughs> I wouldn't call it a strategy. Oh, yeah. I was honestly, I was a bit lost after, after the university degree. I was, didn't really know what I wanted and so I kind of just continued working in the bar. I worked during school already, and then I also took on a lot of catering jobs and catering events jobs and did that. And then I worked in a coffee place here in Zurich for a while, and then for me it was then in December when we decided actually that we we're gonna do this. So then I quit it and was happy to finally have a focus again because... Mm -hmm. It was just too it scattered. Was, it was also, it was, I didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted to do. I always wanted to do this. Mm -hmm but it was not feasible at the time because we had no savings and so, yeah. And for you at that time, what were you doing between university and December last year? Um, so actually two days after we graduated, I flew to Sardinia because I was gonna, I started working for a family as kind of an au pair. My main jobs were walking their dog and taking care of the dog. The dog is where so you had a lot of time dog. with the dog to already work on the business plan. Exactly. <laughs> um, I was also cooking for them and doing their shopping. So it allowed me to save a lot of money, which was awesome. And also to, to give a bit of time to, to, in that time, we also started applying to places and to, started to write potential customers to just get feedback. So. But, yeah, it but was. back then we got a lot of rejections actually. A lot, yeah. Just so it doesn't sound like we got always, we were really successful with applications, but back then we got rejected quite a bit at the beginning because we were, had no real business. And what happened then to you when you got rejected? What was it like? Well, I guess you always learn something and so we, 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 the more we got like the rejections always told you why you got rejected and it was always proof of concept. So then we worked on getting a proof of concept and then we got a accepted so. so it made you stronger yeah it, there was not a moment of discouraging and can we really do it or should we better no. go to dubai too no, <laughs> no? not really it no. was actually more like oh this is the problem so let's focus, focus and get it done so next time they they say yes it was more like the clear tick that we have to work on it 100 percent if we want it to work mm -hmm. more than let's stop this completely but like let's focus on it fully so that we can actually push it to where we want to go. Mm. Why, why, did, why do you believe that you have to focus 100%? Like, I agree to that, but like, what, what was the point where you realized why we have to do 100%? It was actually in this time where we worked those other jobs and we always said, okay, let's, let's do work on it on, in the evenings and so on. But I had a job where I started at 6 a.m. So in the afternoon I was done early, but I mm -hmm. was super tired. And I could just, yeah, it did not work out. It, we couldn't focus. And it was just that, that was the main problem. And we realized after, like in December was the time when we talked about it, but before, already in November, we realized that we're not working, we're not making any progress. And I think for anyone who wants to start a company, as long as you do it on the side to your other job, it's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's exceptions, probably there is. Cause sometimes you have no option, you need money, but. I think there is this period of time where you can take a side job, but then it really has to be the side job. Like you can do 20% in a cafe, yeah. but for us it was the other way around. We were doing our jobs, which were supposed to be 100%, were more like 80%, and then we were working 20% in the evenings, and, and like that it definitely doesn't work. It needs to be, even if it is what you think about constantly, it needs to also be like the time that you allocate to it needs to be the majority of your time during a week. Mm -hmm. And where were you located geographically at that time? Like were you... Did you come together in December here or? 
in Lausanne? Or? Mm, no, so she went to Zurich after, after we finished school in summer, and I was still in Lausanne for a bit, and then I came to Zurich in November. And then when we decided in December um, that we're going to do this, we looked for a cheap accommodation, and we actually went to Graubünden for okay. three months. <laughs> because it's super cheap and Because there is, there is no option to spend any money because yeah. you're just in the mountains and you go, don't go out every night like here in Zurich. <laughs> no, but also her mom has actually um, an apartment there, so we could rent that one, and it was really convenient as well. And that was, that was good that we lived there for three months. And then when the idea, like, maybe at that stage in, in December. Like, could you like, give us a little bit? What was the stage? Could you tell us what was the idea in December? And then maybe we can look into it, how it changed. Like, what, what, looking back to mm -hmm. December, what was the idea at that point? So in December is actually when we approached Holy Cow and we did the pilot test with them. And in December, we didn't have a hardware, so we had no device, uh, no software. We, ha we had nothing. We had a fact sheet. And we, <laughs> we wrote to Holy Cow through mutual friends. And they were like, yeah, come to the pre-opening and uh, we'll discuss it, we're really interested. So we actually went to this pre-opening as we were called EcoChop at the time. <laughs> so EcoChop went to Holy Cow. And we sold them the pilot without having anything. And we were like, yeah, we'll start in February. So that night we were actually like, okay, we're gonna quit our jobs. Are you quitting your job? I'm quitting my job. Okay, done, we agreed on it. And yeah. we quit our job the next, in that week. And, and the concept you sold, could you tell us a little bit what it is? Like someone who never heard about Kytro, like what, what was at that point in time? Why did they say yes? It had to be, there had to be some arguments. Like what did you sell to them? Well, it's, it didn't, we didn't pivot that much since then, to be honest. We sold them basically what we're selling today with a different, a few, like more features that we thought at the time were necessary that we realized now through validation of the ideas they're not that necessary. But other than that, the concept is kind of stayed the same in that okay, sense. Okay, so it's, so. A, it's a trash can, right? Like, which they already have. Then you put a scale underneath to know how much people throw in. And then you put a camera to understand what they are throwing in, like basically. Yeah, so we capture the image, the time, and the weight. Okay. And for us, like what, we wanna, what we're doing is that we're being seamless within the workflow mm -hmm. so that everything is captured automatically. Because since we worked in kitchens and in restaurants, we saw that having this device where you have to type it in manually and take up to five seconds every time you're throwing something away, it's not feasible. So and for that's, us- That's yeah. what most do or what they should do, but they don't. It, the process not really works and- That's what competitors are doing and it's working quite well. Um, otherwise they just, um, they do annual kind of measurements where they place it on the scale and they write it down by hand and- They do more like an audit for once a year, they make an audit for a few weeks or mm -hmm. months. They analyze it and then they, they stop me measuring and they just um, make implementations to change the, change the problem zones yeah. in that sense. But they don't have something that is consistently throughout the whole year in their, in their outlet because mm -hmm. it's annoying to do that. And yeah. so we kind of want to take out this pain point of, there's a lot of manual labor involved. Because in that's what you had to do during your internships, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Writing down. Yeah. yeah. But not everyone writes it down either. Like, depends on the restaurant. On, on their culture, on their beliefs yeah. and value set, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Holy Cow is a restaurant in Winterthur, I learned, right? They have outlets all over Switzerland, but we did the pilot test in Winterthur. Yeah. yeah. And what did you learn from a first pilot? Like, when this machine then, or what did you bring to them? Because you didn't have anything. So you were like, the next step was building something, right? Yeah, so we were really fortunate that we found um, a group of guys who was going to build it for us. And so we just kept 
along with the track as if we had always planned to have it built by then. And um, it's worked, it worked out, out magically. Yeah, I don't somehow. know how. Yeah. But it was because you two, you were not able to build it, right? You, <laughs> no. you, you don't no. have these hardware skills. No. So you had to find someone who is building it for you. Yeah, and then we actually got in touch with them through the master student. Through a master student, through CoFoundMe, the website. Yeah. Um, with ETH, I think it's, I believe it's by ETH. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got in touch with a master student or a PhD student, and he then referred us to, to a few master students, something like this. And so they were actually really interested in the project and said they would support us, which is great. And they were yeah. just starting their own startup, building proto hardware prototypes mm -hmm. for others. So for them, it was also some magic that they found you, right? It was a great match. It was a great match. And they did an amazing job because for what we had no idea where we were going. We knew what we wanted, yeah. but we did the whole ideation with them. They built the whole thing from scratch. And then we stuck it in the outlet, and it worked perfectly. Like, it wow. worked for eight weeks, 24 hours, all the time. And it was, yeah. What are they called? Like, just that yeah. someone else <laughs> Shout could? Shout out. <laughs> yeah. Unicorn Labs. Unicorn, Unicorn Labs. Yeah. Okay. So, and they do, like, everything which is hardware. It's not that they are, like, focused on food waste or something. They do they everything. Just, yeah. But they yeah. are focused on prototyping. So they really Pro want to work oh, okay. with they startups like, on mm -hmm. developing your very first prototype to kind right. of validate your idea and let you mm -hmm. get the next step further. And in this case, it was perfectly validated. Yeah. And what was the main idea to find out? Like, what were you all testing? Like, because... Uh, a lot of people are now getting familiar with the lean startup concept where you have this minimal viable product and then you have to set some some hypothesis to find out certain things. Like, how did you do that? Like, what were you finding out during the pilot? We wanted to see, first off, usability. So does it work within the kitchens? Are they willing to use it? I mean, it's still it's just a trash bin, but what their reaction is and how it works in the, in the environment. Um, and also for, from a technological standpoint for the software, we need to see if it was feasible to actually use these images in the way that we wanted to, to be able to analyze the information. And then also reports. I mean, we, we tested everything. We tested <laughs> And also, um, back then, we also gave them suggestions. So after a few weeks, we uh, looked at the report and said, look, those are two suggestions you could implement. Mm -hmm. And then they implemented one of them. And then we wanted to see what is the difference in the waste, of course, afterwards, and if there's a reduction. And, all of this. And did that work? Yes, that, that worked. worked. Yeah, yeah wow. that worked Perfect. fine. And what was your recommendation? What did you recommend to do? So we do wanted to recommend two things, one regarding lettuce waste and one regarding fries waste. And then the fries waste was a bit too complicated to implement in that short amount of time. So then they focused on the lettuce waste. And basically, it was just to purchase pre-washed pre lettuce because there was a lot of lettuce from the cutting that was ended up just ended up in the bin. And um, so they purchased for two weeks, I think, pre-washed lettuce. And um, there was a reduction of, I don't want to say the wrong number. Two kilos, roughly two yeah. kilos per day yeah. of the lettuce waste. Wow. So. But, but now I would say, but this lettuce would be thrown away now just in another place, right? No, because or they not? use the lettuce differently. So there's always a yield percentage of an item that you can, of a product, produce that you can capture. And so for them, it was about either training the staff so they really use each part of the lettuce properly mm -hmm. or purchasing it differently. So what they don't use at the restaurant, they'll use somewhere else. Um, yeah. what, what, what else did you learn? Did something go wrong during the pilot or did you learn something or did everything was just perfect? Well, no, it's not always <laughs> just perfect. But it worked out really well from the technological side. 
Yeah, but the spoons. Then the, the, there was the spoon story <laughs> about the fry suggestion, I guess. So we tried to, basically Holy Cow knew that they, um, they have a lot of french fry waste. They are aware of their waste and they're quite conscious as well. And, and they wanted, they're doing, making efforts to reduce it. Um, so we wanted to see how could we standardize the way that they portion their fries more. So we ordered spoons. <laughs> and the spoons couldn't be aluminum because they can't need to go in the dishwasher. They needed to be stainless steel. And I don't know where people buy these spoons. I don't know where restaurants go and buy these spoons. So I was looking for an entire day for spoons. I ordered eight different types of spoons from three different locations, and none of them arrived. Oh, really? And I was always, I was trying to make the meetings with Holy Cow, and they were being super accommodating, trying to make the meetings. So they were, they were like, hey, so tomorrow we'll meet. I was like, yeah, but UPS hasn't showed up, so I'll text you in the morning if we can do it. Spoons finally arrive. One of the spoons is about this big. <laughs> the other spoon is like this big. It was, we're, we're not in the business of providing spoons for people. And okay, but that's also be. great <laughs> learning. Yeah. Like yeah. otherwise you would end up in a service, like a service yeah. company who does the whole improvement. So what you are yeah. doing, you are supplying the technology. Exactly. You are the supplying analysis, the, yeah. the analysis. You maybe do some recommendations, but then acting on the recommendation, that's now definitely part of the customer's job. Exactly. Because yeah. they also know there. where to buy the, the spoons. spoons. They know where right. all their stuff comes from. So, but yeah. It was a very good learning. <laughs> also for us to just focus on what we know and what we can do and, and leave them do exactly what they're, they're yeah. capable of. And, yeah. Now you're a team of co-founders. I just heard you talking before the interview about signing like the documents you need to start a company and everything. So you're get, it, get going. Um, for you two, um, like a very uh, experienced entrepreneur once told me there are certain things when you do, when you, you have a startup, which you should just decide out of, of your gut feeling. Like if it's like reversible, it's very easy, just go with the flow and do whatever you like. If it's irreversible, like picking a co-founder, picking an investor, then you sh should think really carefully. <laughs> How carefully did you think about each other? <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, oh, um, so maybe a backstory. Um, we, we've known each other for quite a while, um, but we actually became friends in 2015 when we both went to Miami Beach and we lived there together because we did an internship together. So we lived together, we worked together, went to, went to work together, and that's when we became really close and realized that we're getting along really well. And um, I guess we, it just happened that we started working together then on, on, for this challenge and it worked well and we were so excited about it and we just continued from there. And then in this, actually in this SCP situation, so our bachelor project, we were a team of six. And uh, that was also an interesting constellation. Um, <laughs> where you learned who could not be your co-founder. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Where yeah. you also see there's different styles of working and it does not always match. Like everyone is doing great in what they're doing, but together it just does not work. But we realized back then that we're always on the same page and somehow it was, it was just so easy going to work with her and it made sense. So. Could you describe the style where it actually clicked? Like is there something very specific you both do or some way, like a value set you agreed on, or which is just maybe implicit, could be? The thing is, people say you shouldn't work with your friends or True. siblings or stuff like this. Yeah. And I think in this case, I have to strongly disagree because it works, because we get along so well, like in our personal lives, we, we go for drinks together, we, well, she's 
pretty much. Yeah, she's my best friend. So, you know, we spend all our social time, not all now because we're not in the same country, but usually we spend a lot of our social time together. We have the same friends. Um, we're going to move back in together. We'll move soon. back in together. And it's super important that you can trust the person that you're working with and you can not only trust them to make decisions, but also to give you very honest feedback as well as that they know you so well that they know how you react to things. So mm -hmm. <laughs> when I'm annoyed, Anna knows it and she knows exactly like what to do. And it's something we discussed as well, like this is how I react, how do you react? Okay, so, so we know each other very well in terms of how we react to things, how we make decisions. Sometimes one person takes longer, sometimes the other person, you know, will go back and forth. And to know somebody that well, I think is really, that's the most important when you're, when you're working with somebody as to a team of two. Yeah. But what do you think why people say that? You should not start the company with your best friend. You should not. I, think, I, see, I see how it could not work. So I, I see how it's, for example, when we, when we started off the, the idea in, in, during university and we're a team of three. So this other girl, Anina, she had a different working style. Or different. She was also, she, had, she was doing so many things in school. So she was also really, really busy and couldn't commit the same amount as we could. And so there it already like led to, and she was a good friend and we're still good friends now, of course. So that was actually cool that it worked out fine like this. But I could see that if, if there's like then, that there could be potential issues and you lose a friend and then that, that would be a worst case scenario, of course. Mm. But that's something that can happen to you. So you're sacrificing a lot. I like don't this. see that this could happen to us. Okay, good. Because we have this certain way of how we discuss things and we mm -hmm. don't always agree, obviously. Yeah. But we, we have this kind of structured way how we discuss things, I'd say. Yeah. And, and no one takes it personally. It's just two different opinions. And we talk about them as long as we have to, to agree on something, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's also always like I would never sacrifice my friendship with you for Kaito. Like, no. But it's not. But it's not. It's never been that like question. It's no. Mm -hmm. It just never works. It doesn't need to be that yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah. But what, maybe it's also happen. important for people yeah. listening now to that because you actually you were colleagues. You you studied together, so it was more a business relationship. Like maybe you learned each other. Like you know you knew before you started the company how you work. Like you did projects together. Like a lot of people starting a company with the best friend, their first business project is the company and they don't know how they work. So maybe that's something which was a little bit different with you, like that it was not just the best friend. But we already decided, I think, in Miami. So in Miami, we were living in like very <laughs> close proximity. We were four girls in a two-bedroom apartment <laughs> doing a 42-day rotation. Like we had it all. But already there, we said we're going to do something together. We're going to do the SEP together. So mm -hmm. it was already from a friendship that we said we're going to work together. I think it, it's helpful, but it... It didn't really. We I started to know how each other, how we work, once yeah. we got into. But more but depth. now another point. Like you, you did first a bachelor thesis together, like as a first project. Yeah. Like that if that would not have worked out, you could okay, just then. have said, "Hey, yeah. maybe we start not Kaitra together." But like doing the first thing, the first project together, maybe that's a learning. Like some someone could have, like if you start a company together, then maybe do first a small project together or do a world trip or whatever yeah, you could yeah. do <laughs> yeah, or try perfect. to like do something really together which is not just like being in your normal life like meeting once a week or three times a week for coffee or food or beer yeah. because that's not what startup life is about yeah. it's more like sharing a dorm or traveling the world getting robbed somewhere or losing something or doing a project together and like being 
like I think stressful situations maybe help to find out do, does it really click or yeah definitely definitely and I, I agree with you it would be definitely a good idea if you if you want to start something with your friend that you first do work on it like do a different like have a different context a different scenario where you do work on a project or as you said mm. go travel the world or create some stressful situations to see how you guys find <laughs> but um, for us it was it just made sense. I don't know. It was just so easy. It wasn't even a question. Yeah. It just clicked somehow. Yeah. It just worked. Yeah. And I think most yeah. people don't have this luxury of being able to, yes, ideally you would go and you would do this world trip. For instance, Elliot now, who's joined the team as tech. Yeah. Obviously, we would have loved to go travel the world with him and <laughs> go on, you but know. How, did, how well did you know him before? He contacted us on F6S. Um, F6S. Yeah, so it's um, a perfectly business relationship. It was not a friend before. No, but yeah. for us, we've also met other people before, and it was because we connected with him on a personal level rather mm -hmm. than just he had the obviously he had the skills and he was very very talented, mm -hmm. or he is very very talented. But we have a different structure for our interviews. So <laughs> structure. <laughs> our interviews take place at bars, and it's over a drink. It's not this kind of. There are questions you have to ask, and you have to know: Are they actually able to do what they? said they were going to do and can they actually deliver and bring them like to complete the milestones but i think it's almost more important that you can sit and have a conversation and understand how that person works and that they kind of fit in the team yeah i think this fit is extremely important yeah maybe yeah. going back a little bit because most of the people listening to us don't know who elliot is so Sorry. let's go back a little bit <laughs> and say, so you both come from a hotel food food and beverage background um, when like the first step was in December to say, okay, we are, we are hiring a company who actually builds that for us. Um, where did you realize that you need to have a technical person like in the founding team and what was, did something happen or how did you realize it? Well, we always knew we need to have a technical person in the founding team if we're starting a tech company without any tech background. So that, that was always very clear to us. It was just also at the beginning very hard for us to, we weren't even sure what exactly we need to look for. So it was cooler or it was convenient to, to work with the, with the Unicorn Labs to get this first prototype built and see how if the market is even reacting to it, if this works with customers to validate it before we hire someone. And then, then in summer we started actively looking for, for someone that can actually do the software part. And how did you do that and for what were you looking? So we were looking, so first of all, to answer how, I mean, we, there's a lot of uh, website, uh, websites out there, platforms where you can recruit, recruit um, kind of people for startups, I guess, early, mm -hmm. early hire or co-found me, I mentioned, F6S. And so we started posting like job descriptions all over, AngelList is also one, all over there, and we talked to a ton of people. Um, but uh, we quickly knew that we want somewhere from the software side, not the hardware side, because the hardware is something that we anyway are going to outsource, and the software is really the, the core that we want to build in-house. But just for somebody hiring, I think it, it's super hard. It was very hard for us to find someone, because first, we're living off our savings, so we haven't paid salaries in nine months, so to convince somebody to, somebody that skilled and with so many job opportunities right now, that's not the coolest offer you were putting down. No, yeah. we were like, we can buy you a beer once a month and like you can have one of the co-working spots. But we didn't really have anything 
How did you do that? Like, how were you able to put down something which was attractive enough? Because I think he's from England and he came here for a whole week and he now probably is going or it's planned that he's joining the team. So you offered him something which was somehow interesting. How did you do that? How, how was your... I think he really loves the challenge and he loves the fact that he can actually also grow with the team and 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 I guess yeah do more than what he could do in an entry-level job now from after after his PhD so I think that's that's the main reason he's really like an open and he also identify was able to identify with what we're trying to do so the reduction yeah. of food waste he's super into outdoor sports and environment so for him I think he also he's worked in in service yeah he as did. well so he's also seen it from the, the back end, which is actually super rare for someone in tech. But it allowed him to really understand what we're doing and, and to see the whole vision behind, the, behind Kaitra. And, but how, do you, are you able now to pay him a certain salary or do you pay no salaries at all? And how do you differentiate if like you're the two co-founders, now someone is coming in, is he like the classical employee or is he like also like a kind of co-founder? How do you do that? Like, no, he, he's going to be a co-founder. Okay. Yeah. So he he also we talked about it and he wants to also be actively like in the co-founding team and we yeah. want that too. So he will eventually have shares if yes. everything works out. Exactly. So that was maybe also an important important reason to join. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how do you do that like like on a longer term like with him like or how do you split shares? Did you just say it? we are splitting equally, or well, how do you there was do never it with a discussion shares? between us. It was always we we started at the same time. We both like it was always equal. Like there's never been a discussion about you work more, she works more, mm -hmm. you're doing yeah. that, and it's pretty. I think pretty equal. And we always said okay, fifty fifty. And now with Elliot coming on board, I mean it's we'll do the typical things that startups do with the vesting schedules and one year the cliff and, and all of this yeah. but, but with you two you don't do that no we do it too we would you yeah. all okay yeah. Yeah. That's, that's quite no cool. because yeah. we're really into this like it has to be equal for everyone okay and also if someone of us just leaves in a year then it's also not fair that this person keeps so many shares, shares for the rest yeah, of the because like, probably that would kill the company yeah, yeah. so no we're, we're all gonna like now with him joining we're all yeah. gonna sign this document that we all have this vesting yeah. schedule okay um, because we just think it has to be fair like this yeah but the the, the amount, the equity, how the equity is split is probably a little bit different because he's joining later. Yes. That's like what I hear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, maybe now going back to Kickstart Accelerator and the whole Swiss startup ecosystem, is there anything that you were missing in the Swiss startup ecosystem or that Switzerland could do better? Yes. They could, somebody out there, please write a detailed description of the steps when you're incorporating. <laughs> what paper comes first? What paper comes next? Where do you go to sign the papers? How much does it cost? Because this is something we've asked people, and they're like, yeah, it's super easy. And you can do it yourself. Yeah. Can yeah. take a template of <laughs> Statuten. That yeah. was not the case in your yeah. case. So I think legal documents in general, IP assignments, employee contracts, to have like a, somebody's looking for something to do and they want to create a platform that shows startups exactly what document should you do at what point? So once you incorporate, what do you need before you incorporate? The IP assignments, the mm -hmm. NDAs, all of this, and to have templates, because even lawyers work off templates. 
But of course, that's their business. Exactly. Oh, oh. <clears throat> no, no, they make it. They make it new every time. They make it every time. How how about if we start a platform where all the Swiss startups are open sourcing their legal documents? Yeah, because, it would be awesome. Because that's what we did. Like when I was sending you certain documents, yeah. and I I did that like already like a fifty times, where I was sending to startups, shareholder agreements, investment agreements. Yeah. Um, uh, employee contracts. Like in the end, I think there should be a lawyer maybe looking it through if it's a, like a super sure. important document. Because if you are signing with other shareholders a document, it's one of these decisions that you are not so easily reversible. So it probably there should be someone. So the lawyer has. Uh, but it, I think it would be uh, put the startup person just in a more confident role that they know what we're doing, that they even can look at the document that they see, okay, investment agreement, it's almost all the time the same maybe. Yeah. Shareholder agreement, it's very different. Every company has their own one and every company agrees on other things. So. Yeah. I think startups in programs like this, they are very willing to share. So as soon as you ask for it, there's mm -hmm. somebody who's done what you've done, they've been in that step before. At least in our case, because we're usually quite young in the the different you don't programs. I, I don't. Program. I've made different experience where I asked people for maybe like a template or if they could share a document with me, and they were like, "Yeah, there's great templates out there." And then they sent me a link to a page where I could download a template. Mm -hmm. I was like, I kind of want to see a real one. You yeah, know? right. Because I've seen tons of templates and just not helping. So. Yeah. Yeah, and also yeah. like what what's in there? Like how like how do you split equity, for example? Yeah, that I was, think that are questions like really startup Switzerland could like provide a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. Like we are providing a lot of competitions, a lot of accelerators, a lot of cool stuff, a lot of events. Yeah. It was not the case when I started Atizo, my company, like fifteen years ago. 10 years ago, it was not the case that it was so much around. But I think about the information and open source, and it's something which, yeah. And also to help kind of the startups to bring down the legal costs, because those are just in Switzerland, that's really unfavorable. Mm -hmm. To start a startup in Switzerland, there's like a few drawbacks, and the legal costs are definitely one of them. Also, yeah, the high cost in general, it's, mm -hmm. it's not easy then. But I think in general, the Swiss ecosystem for startups, it's something mm -hmm. that's growing and there's a lot, of, a lot of support. And we've been super fortunate since mm -hmm. starting in February, the amount of support that we've gotten and had a kind of snowballed effect for us. So like we started in one competition and then from that, there was always someone in the crowd that could help us with the next step. Either they knew somebody for the tech or they knew someone for the hardware or they knew of another program or a competition that we could apply to. So at first we were really applying to all these ones and then it started that they were like, oh, why don't you like check out this one, check out this one. So I think the, the ecosystem is definitely building and it's so like, you have one of like so Swiss close. startups in, Switzerland, in Zurich and then you have the little Lausanne community. And so eventually, hopefully they'll all collaborate and be like one massive one, but you mm -hmm. definitely have strong supports in, in the different regions. Well, what you actually said you have to ask for, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a super important message because the people, most people are willing to share, but you really have to ask Swiss people. They don't come to you and offer all the stuff. You yeah. really have to go there and ask them, and then most of them are open to share it.
But in general, like also when you, you have a set of mentors and you send them a weekly or a monthly newsletter and you just put in asks or help or we need help with that and then you make a little list, people mm -hmm. will write you back and say, I can help you with this or I can help you with this. And so that is, that is really cool. And I think yeah. that would be also an advice for any startup to, to do those newsletters and, and actually ask for things because people will help you. Yeah, but then you have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, so that's probably yeah, the yeah. first step <laughs> yeah. some startups should do. But like even for when we were, so in the summer we were supposed to be in Lausanne and we didn't have anywhere to live. So we posted on our old university Facebook page <laughs> if anyone would be willing to give us their apartment. And at first people were saying, yeah, a thousand bucks a month. We were like, okay, we don't have salaries. And then we actually got two apartments for free for the entire summer from students who just wanted to support us. Which, wow. I mean, the worst thing that can happen when you ask is someone says no. Yeah. And the best is that you actually find what you're looking for. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how you lived the last couple of <laughs> couple months, right? Like moving from flat to brother to sister. Yeah, we've because uh, we haven't been paying salaries. We've we had this apartment in the beginning that was really cheap in Copenhagen, and then since the summer we've kind of been couch surfing. Anna's even spent a night in the yeah. office. Um, we always have our bag, and people make fun of us because our like our house. So yes. because you always take, you never take for one day because you never know if you're going to have to be there for another meeting. So you always have everything in one bag so you can sleep anywhere. You can stay for multiple days. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. definitely uh, That's the true exciting. startup life, right? Yeah. Having everything in one bag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other life hacks you have than putting the whole household in one bag like that makes you flexible, that makes you, or keeps you healthy maybe? Healthy. <laughs> I don't know. When you go to Migro, so the cheapest way to eat oh, yeah. is to go to Migro and buy the salad, a big bag of salad. So what we usually do is we buy the big bag of salad and then little ingredients to add to it and then bread. And there we can get by with about three francs 50 per person for a meal. And like a big salad. salad. It's a big salad. Yeah. That's kind of And you put like the sauce and everything in the bag and you shake exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and then we've got it. So. And how about sleep? Like when you are always at another place, like how important is sleep? I, for me, sleep is very important. Um, but I mean, at one point you're so tired, you sleep wherever you are, and it's okay. But for me, it was not a problem to sleep on a couch than for four, five hours or something. So. But there was a couch in the office. You didn't sleep underneath really the desk. Yeah, you know, it was not really the comfortable couch. Okay. There was actually two couches, and you could put them together, and then it was like a little grip. And you know, I, I slept super well. And then the cleaning lady came in at 6 a.m., so that was unfortunate. She, I think she was a bit shocked, but... That was the alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't even have to set an alarm. Yeah. Is there anything you like to add, like any advice you have, like something that happened, something really funny or where you learned a lot during the last couple very exciting months, probably? In general, I think um, also what is really important if you want to create your startup is to really be open to new ideas, open in general, open to also advice from other people and to learn like this curiosity and this, this wanting to learn more and also applying it then that has helped us a lot that you, you're not so stubborn and you're like, oh, my product is the best and it's going to sell and you don't listen to anyone. That, that's not going to work. Okay. Like, you need to be yes, able to, yeah. yeah. You need to take all the advice, think about it and think how can I make something out of this and, and actually create something that adds value to the world, I guess. And that's maybe going back to the competitions. In a lot of competitions that we've been part of, they actually tell you exactly what they want to see. To the, like, in this slide, put this. And it's amazing how many startups still don't do it. 
Like they just completely like just ignore it. If yeah. they yeah. ask you for something, they want to see whether you're going to take their advice and it apply in. it. So just take whatever you can, apply it, and there's a. They're not going to make you apply something. I mean, you may not agree with all the decisions, but in your environment, know how to take most advantage of it. Great. Maybe, probably there are a lot of people now really interested in Kytro and maybe also people who are interested in you as entrepreneurs. Like, what's the easiest way to get in touch if like an investor wants to reach out, if media wants to reach out? Like, where are you and what's the easiest way to reach you? I think the easiest is just to go on our website um, or first on a Facebook page and you see the website and there's a contact form. Yeah. And you just leave your email and your name and there's a little message box where you can leave a request. So, so you are replying to every request? Yes. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> and the website is kytro.ch. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I want to thank you. It was a great chat and yeah, hope to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>